0: Your QL fandom uncle and auntie are here with giant sunglasses, brown liquor in a flask, a folded $5 bill to slip into your hand when nobody's looking, lukewarm takes, occasional rides on the discourse, deep dives into artistry and industry, and most importantly, simping.
1: Lots of simping. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. And this is The Conversation. About once a season... We plan to swan in and shoot the shit on faves, flops, and trends that we've been noticing in the BL, GL, or QL industry. Between seasons, you can find us typing way too many words on Tumblr. So nice, you gotta do it twice. These three shows went back to the well for a second outing with mixed results. This week, Nini and I are discussing Cutie Pie to you, aka To Cutie Two Pie, My Beautiful Man too, also known as Itsuku and Between Us.
0: Ooh, you say mixed, I say mixed what are we going to start with i do we start with the the best of the best or the not so great how do you want to how do you want to play this
1: off top of my head i gave cutie pie to you something between an 8 and a 9 depending on how i felt at the time i gave between us like a solid 8 maybe 7 depending on my mood but it's a Kushikari too i gave a 10
0: you're so much kinder than me, except for Utsukushikari. I completely agree with you. That was a Actually, let me go check for...
1: before I get too deep <laughs> this. No, I gave Between Us a six. Never mind. It was bad.
0: <laughs> I heard you say it, and I was like, that didn't sound right. That did not sound right. <laughs> Edit it out. <laughs> no, I'm that in. i am leaving it at I need them between to us, know.
1: Between Us got a six. <laughs> My Beautiful Man, too, got a 10 A very, very strong. I gave I Cutie Pie to you. I gave it an 8. You know, I've been in these streets a long time, and there are certain people that I'll give certain passes to. Like, I'll be nice to Damundi because of what they're trying to do. Cutie Pie did really well domestically in Thailand, and so they really wanted to go back and have a little fun with those characters. And so I really Ooh. don't mind them doing kind of a fan y outing for those characters and doing the wedding that was such a big deal that drove the plot of the first show it was exactly what it purported to be and Poppy clearly had a good time so you know it's easy for me to be nice to that show it didn't do anything spectacular but it didn't also frustrate me
0: for me Too cutie two pie frustrated me it's not even like the content of it because i think the story was fine I was just really irritated by the pacing, the way that things were dragged out between Nukua and Helian. It didn't have to be all of that drama and angst. It really didn't. The central conflict of the season didn't demand any of that drama and angst. Okay, congratulations. You're going to be a K-pop star. Fantastic. Your fiancé is really going to be happy for you, so why all of this Sturm und Drang?
1: That's basically the complaint of the whole original show, which is why it didn't necessarily Mm. bother me here, because I was like, well, we're only going to be here for four episodes, so (laughs) I don't have to sit through this for two and a half months. I was hoping
0: to get something a little more meaty if they were going to go back to the well
1: uh, that's the, not what i expected the, from a from a show like know.
0: this i really enjoyed sin and newer they were the ones who didn't really get a lot of attention in the original series so when i realized that they were going to be part of the sequel well the special i guess you could call it i was really engaged with the idea and then they were doing some interesting things surrounding sin's piety I think you and I discussed it at the time how we were really enjoying watching them navigate that in the context of Sin and Noor wanting to have a sexual relationship. How they navigated around that and then them trying to have sex and failing and it somehow being okay. That was really cute and interesting. I enjoyed all of that. And of course, More I always cute. enjoy Poppy.
1: What were your primary takeaways then about Sin's piety and how it plays out here?
0: I feel like they started to tackle it, but they didn't quite get exactly where they were going. It felt like a beginning, but it was a beginning right. that I was really intrigued by. I wanted to see more of it. I wanted to see them like continue because it's clear that they want to have a sexual relationship. Like It would be different if Sin didn't want to have a sexual relationship in Newer, but he clearly does. So him coming to terms with that and what it means for him and how he wants to tackle that. Because Newer is just 100% like, I'm moving at your pace, which I really appreciate But I feel like we didn't get to Sins where he got to in his head about it. They tried. It was awkward. They stopped. And then we didn't really get any more of that.
1: So I'm not familiar enough with Buddhist teachings and how they present culturally for Thailand, but my primary takeaway for Sin's piety and how it reinforces the show is because Sin is presented as a deeply pious character who has a strong sense of moral justice that carries through in the first show, his support of this wedding I think is meant to tie in how sincere the feelings for gay matrimony are, at least in this show, and how it is for the folks who are pushing the Thai government to approve same-sex marriage. Because sin is so pious, it reinforces how important this is for Lian and Nukua. I mean, I talked about this even when we were doing the Vibe Awards about how I think side couples have to reinforce the core storytelling of the main couple. And Mm -hmm. I believe that's the primary role that's in a newer play here.
0: I think for me, what it is about not just cutie pie to you, but I think the whole cutie pie universe is going to sound real weird for somebody who's so into romance. Marriage kind of not big on my personal romantic scale it's important for a host of reasons but in terms of the romantic side of it less interesting to me so i think that's probably why i might have had such a hard time with cutie pie and specifically with cutie pie too because i am a somewhat of a heartless bitch when it comes to this stuff <laughs> i don't i don't i don't like weddings i never really have i eat that, that shit up yeah oh my goodness
1: <laughs> man every time we get a wedding and a show in the clown server it's me this was amazing i love this and everyone else is like <laughs> boom <weddings.
0: laughs> i have like weird stuff about the sentiments that couples express in public I think that's what it comes down to for me. And the sentiments that people express to each other at weddings, I'm always like, don't y'all just want to say this to each other and bribe it instead.
1: So yeah, a big well, well. part of why I love weddings is because I Ooh. care so much about community. Like the whole mm-hmm. thing about having the wedding as a big public ceremony is your community is witness to the promise you're making between each other. And so in a way Your community is also agreeing to help you uphold the vows that you're swearing to each other. The seriousness with which Cutie Pie treats marriage is endearing to me for that reason.
0: I agree, technically, with all of those things. (laughs) I don't care, though. I think I just have like weird fontrum around not even public displays of affection, more like public declarations of affection. Because I don't have a weird thing about public displays of affection. I think it's just the schmoopiness. It is the ultimate <laughs> grand gesture, me. for sure. It's the schmoopiness that gets me. And I am fully aware that I am losing stripes with every word that comes out of my mouth right here. But I got to be honest with no, you No, I
1: mean, marriage is <laughs> not for everybody. But I think it's important that for the people that marriage is important to, that their determination be treated seriously. Getting married is not a game for cutie pie. And that's why I find myself being really kind to the show. My issues with the show, are my usual issues with Tybio, I think they're a little unfocused. I think they're a little too long. And I think there's often too many plot lines competing for attention. That don't always blend well together. Cutie pie to you was kind of fun for me as dessert. Like I went into it with my eyes. I'm like, all right, we're just fucking around for a few episodes. Well, until these two get married, what's the drama this time? They want completely different things out of their wedding. That seems about right for them. Their friends are finally here to help them put this together. Love it. Sin's trying to figure out now that his friends are truly committing to each other. What does that mean for him? that's also a part of it. Like when your friends start committing to each other like this, this does have an effect on you as well. That plays out decently in this one as Kondial and he, he, the two of them are sorting that out as well. Now that they've finally gotten over their home, there wasn't a lot of real drama hanging over this. Really. They were just sort of vibing and managing themselves. And Poppy got to have a good time.
0: Keep right to you. I gave it a big fat raspberry. Not for me. Ben sorta liked it.
1: I did. I see okay. your notes here. Before we move mm-hmm. on from Cutie Pie, that you had a thing about Kondiao here. What did you want to say about him?
0: I put Kondiao as my MVP character, and the reason for that is I still adore Kua and Diao's friendship. Even in the sequel, it sparks for me. It always does. I love how those two love each other. I'm less annoyed by Diao than I am by Kua. So he became my MVP character by default. But I that do love true. Kua and Diao together. Together, they're one of the best parts of the whole cutie pie universe. Let's dive a little before we go high, shall we? I concur. Between us.
1: It was bad. All right. I'm just jumping in. It was not good. I cannot (laughs) believe we waited three years for this.
0: Well, you waited three years for this. I did. I I was waiting for so long. (laughs) I am not uh an until we meet again, girl. Literally, every time I open my mouth on this episode, I know that I'm losing stripes with the listenership. But it's true. I am not an Until We Meet Again girl. I was intrigued by the idea of Between Us because the thing I did like in Until We Meet Again was the whole win team thing. I did enjoy that dynamic. So I was actually looking forward to Between Us. And I lost that feeling with the quickness probably
1: around episode two. Do you remember during the Vibe Awards, we were handing out the award for best side couple, and we Mm -hmm. got into this whole discussion about whether or not the show would still be good if we flipped to focus on the side couple, and Mm -hmm. I was like, that's the wrong way to look at a side couple because if they're not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is exactly what I'm talking about.
0: (laughs) I will maintain my argument, which is that the... Side couple of Win and Team that we see and Until We Meet Again. It just seemed like a completely different couple in between us. All of the things that I enjoyed about Win and Team and Until We Meet Again, they were playful, they were flirty. Win was kind of devilish. Between us, there's none of that.
1: I don't it's think this it's there. It's mopey,
0: that's... angsty, and I understand that that's their novel story. There's a lot of angst and moping and weepiness, and yeah, I get it. You know, anytime anybody says, but that was the novel. I was like, have you ever read the Bad Buddy novel? So why couldn't they just do (laughs) Because the Bad Buddy
1: novel is You can tell when she's mad. Whenever she gets mad enough, she reaches behind and pulls out a bat that's just Bad Buddy. (laughs) So anyway.
0: (laughs) It was so mopey. They weren't my fun, charming couple that I expected to see. The whole thing about Until We Meet Again. Why I enjoyed Win and Team so much.
1: They were a break.
0: (laughs) They were a break. Dina and Parm were so exhausting. And Win and Team were this breath of fresh air. So now to come to Between Us and have Win and Team become the exhausting people. And then not even have a relieving couple. We have so many couples in between us.
1: There is no real break. It is just a constant deluge of shit happening.
0: There is one couple in between us that I enjoyed and that was B and Prince. And I was surprised that I enjoyed B and Prince. But Me I, too, did I did enjoy them. I did not like through. them when
1: they first popped up. I was like, "Oh my
0: yeah. god. Yeah. I liked how B just kind of let himself fall. He saw this kid and he's like, Ooh. And then he just followed that thread. It was just sweet watching them fall for each other, watching B just be like, Well, shit, I guess I'm gay then. It was lovely. That was kind of it. I couldn't even really get into one and two, which I know a lot of people were getting into. It.
1: The part of Between Us that's kind of interesting it's like god damn this was happening during until we meet again shit i thought team was just being a brat with win i didn't realize he was drowning in the school pool was like not oh funny, i made some it's <laughs> it's like oh i made some kanji for dean this morning oh neat. what happened to you last night well hilariously between us and until we meet again as a whole lower the tier ranking for the par team friendship. Because god damn. How two do thirds of you me? were going through just constant crisis for like a year. And no one said anything?
0: Aside from all of this, you know Manau is my best girl. How do you make me be annoyed by Manau in your sequel? Right. I loved Manau. What is even happening with her in the show?
1: This is peak new Watch storytelling. I love new genuinely as a BL Old, but there's way too much shit happening in this show. There are like five couples when in team. Technically, there's Dean and Parm because they get acknowledged constantly. Manao and Pruk. B and Prince, Juan and Tool. <laughs> it's way too much.
0: Juan and Tool. Yeah, mm-hmm. hanging out with Oreo.
1: Very unexpected.
0: It's not that I didn't like the flavor. I did like them as a pairing, but when's older brothers weird back and forth with their dad?
1: I'm so confused. Yeah, I think it's meant to highlight the middle child energy of Wyn, perhaps. Santa was in this. Santa was cute, but I was also like, we just saw Santa be cute in my only 12%. I don't need this again.
0: I just didn't need any of the wins family shit. I'm sorry, I just didn't. I think that there are ways to pull out his whole millchildness. I mean, if it's that important, there were other ways to deal with
1: it. I was so teams disappointed. trauma was kind of interesting, but I feel like we don't do enough with it to warrant how long we're there. And that feels like the problem. Like all these other couples are here to shore up the fact that the team and win stuff Just doesn't require a whole lot of time. And so we've stacked the show full of nonsense. For the people who do love Win Team, I am on your side. And let's talk about the worst thing that happened in between us. You did not make it here. But the scene that basically sailed that ship. They changed the subtitles and worsened the scene. And then had them weirdly break up in that scene and then spend the next episode for 10 minutes crying and singing at the same time at each other. And I am never getting over that. I am entitled to compensation.
0: I'm really glad I didn't make it that far because it,
1: my TV would have gone out
0: the window if I had made it that far.
1: I'm no, don't far. break your stuff because a show is bad. <laughs> I can't do that.
0: There are so many things about the things that New Siwaj chooses to do and how he chooses to do them. There are things in there that I really respond to. And then there's things like that.
1: And then there's between us. There's so much in news thematic stylings that creeps into all his work that I connect to every single time, especially when it's bad. And I'm just like, man, I want so much more for you. I just want to mush his face and be like, we can do this. Let's just focus. To wrap up our Between Us section, I will say this the MVP actor of Between Us is Prem. I think it's important for us to acknowledge the physical shape that Prem got himself into to play team this time. Prem did not have a swimmer's build in Until We Meet Again, and he has one in this show, and he clearly worked hard for that, and I want to acknowledge that while we're here. Also, we didn't have Earth K in this show, and someone had to step up to cry, and he absolutely did.
0: (laughs) I'm going to let you have it because I did not finish the show. You watch the whole thing, you get to have it.
1: I think everybody does a good job of what they're given in that show.
0: Let's talk about a winner. My Beautiful Man Season 2. Utsukushikare 2. Got 10 out of 10. So good. Where do we even begin?
1: Let's actually start with Itsuka because I know it's a divisive show. Because we've not really talked about this properly, I think, even from my own curiosity, you came to the show almost because of the controversy. Because we were having an extensive debate on Tumblr and in our clown chat about whether or not Itsuka was good and whether or not people should watch it. So what's your primary takes from like the first show? That made you even want to re engage with the second season?
0: I think I'm on record on this podcast when we were discussing the Vibe Awards as saying that I think Utsukushikure was misunderstood. I did come to it because everybody had an opinion about it. And I kind of went back and forth to, I want to watch this or not want to watch this. I remember somebody saying it was similar to Where Your Eyes Linger.
1: Where um, your Eyes Linger? Who said that?
0: Somebody said it was similar to Where Your Eyes Linger. I was like, okay, well, I kind of liked Where Your Eyes Linger. I think it fizzled in the end, but I was enjoying it until then. And then somebody was like, no, it's toxic. And there was just so much drama going back and forth, and not just on Tumblr, but even in the clown chat, everybody had an opinion. And then I remember there was a certain turning of the worm. There was an episode that aired, and then a lot of people who had been saying that they were not enjoying it said, oh, now I get it. That was when I decided, okay, I'm just going to let this finish and then I'm going to binge it and decide how I feel about it. So quietly, because I, I don't always say when I'm watching stuff, sometimes I just quietly watch it and then I'm just like, okay, so I watched this and here's my opinion. Slides
1: into my DMs at one in the morning.
0: And sometimes you're even awake. So I just binge the whole thing from the beginning I just got it to me it was clear who the characters were and what was happening between them and I was just like oh no this is gonna be crazy good and I just binged the whole thing I think it's episode five when they changed the perspectives between the two characters Mm -hmm. I was just like yep I was right I think people got a little turned off for valid reasons Completely valid
1: reasons. If you don't like the stalking, the possessiveness, the way a fictional gun was used twice, there are valid reasons to not like that. That's a big thing we talked about on this podcast. We are totally okay with you saying the vibes were not right for me. But the vibes not being right for you is not an objective (laughs) measuring stick for whether or not a piece of work is good or bad.
0: Yeah and so I was determined to watch it for myself and I completely understood having watched it why there were people who said nah I'm out. I think a lot of it is a lot of the same reasons people got turned off at the beginning of Secret Crush on you. I was one of them. I think you convinced me
1: to go back.
0: Those kinds of things don't faze me because I usually expect the worm to turn somewhere over the course of the show hey, if it marriage. doesn't stalkers <laughs> I am fascinated a little bit by the psychology of clearly damaged people and I am willing to give a little bit of leeway for things to play out before I decide no I'm out this is too ridiculous or too toxic or this person is too damaged for me to get on with. I normally will give them rope and see where it goes. So, a character like Hira, who becomes obsessed with Kiyoi. I'm looking at how Hira is behaving. I'm looking at the ways that he speaks to himself. I'm looking at the ways that Kiyoi notices him. Because Kiyoi notices him very early on.
1: That's the big thing that stands out for me. Yagi Yusei is... Really good. The way he looks at Hira made me trust this show from almost the moment he shows up. I was like, oh, never mind. I see what's going on here. We are finally subverting my most hated trope. And I was like, please don't blow this for us. It's a Kushikari. Like, I was watching this show fist clenched the whole time. I had tattooed hold fast onto my fingers. <laughs> like,. <laughs> Going into Its Goshikari 2, I was super duper amped by the end of the first show. I talked about this, I think, during the Vibe Awards. I don't know how much I elaborated on this, but I don't subscribe to the Happily Ever After read of most romance characters, unless we're in something sort of fanciful. Like Cutie Pie is pretty fanciful, so I'll accept like Happily Ever After for them. My school president is kind of on the fanciful side, so I'll accept. A happy ever after for them. But generally, I'm a happy for now type of guy. Because these characters are young a lot of the time. There's no guarantee that they're going to make it. And that's not always fun for people to think about. But I'm like, did you watch the path of them getting together? They are not okay. They call this pairing toxic. They're not wrong. Just because they had sex in a school classroom and ended up tangled in bed doesn't mean that their relationship was okay. Dick is not magical, it does not fix you. I really, really loved coming back to these two characters because the core misunderstanding is still there. The issue is always going to be Kioi likes being pursued, he wants to be the okay in this story, and that's text because the director is obeying the Yaoi framework of putting the semi on the left all the time.
0: I'm not a Yaoi girl, so I didn't even notice that.
1: Yagi Yusei is very cognizant of this. He even moves them around when the two of them are doing promotional stuff for the show together. He always positions them where their characters are supposed to be to reinforce that framing. So like, even though he's sort of the master in this story, Even though that's a clear part of their dynamic where he has to be a Dom for Hira, he himself wants to be the Uke of the story. The struggle for them is that Ukes are not supposed to express desire. We don't have to subscribe to these things as good or whatever, but these are the conventions of the genre. I loved season two because we watched that play out over like three years of kiyo literally waiting for Hira to confess. And it doesn't happen because Hira is in a very different relationship than Kiyoi is in. This ends up playing out really well in their blow-up in episode 3, and it's why Koyama still being around was important, because he pushes Kiyoi to recognize that Hira is not going to be the guy he wants him to be. and he has to step forward in this regard. They had their, like, penultimate episode breakup. The breakup was so reasonable. Kiyoi was upset about some valid stuff and left to cool off. And he came back in the night. He didn't sleep with Hira. And he was there in the morning. Like, Hira's like, my life is over. Kiyoi has abandoned me. I will never see him again. I'm stuck where I was before. I have failed and all the things that matter to me. Oh, he's shit. He's here. He said, well, yeah, I'm here. Why didn't you chase after me? What's wrong with you? If you were afraid of losing me... Chase after me. I love the fourth episode because so much of the fourth episode is about Kiyoi recognizing who Hira is properly because he doesn't see who Hira is properly either. We give Hira a lot of shit for seeing Kiyoi as a god this whole time, but Kiyoi does not see Hira properly over this time either. In the final episode, they're finally talking to each other in ways that both of them can understand, and Hira finally shows growth by not trying to lower himself relative to and saying, I want to stand with you. I can't yet, but I want to.
0: I'm not a yaoi girl, so a lot of that would have gone over my head. But let me tell you what I got out of it. At the end of the first season, it was very obvious to me that these two were not going to make it. (laughs) It was clear to me because they hadn't actually resolved anything. Yeah, they got together because for a hot minute, Hira got over himself and Kiyoi got over himself and they managed to make it just close enough to each other that they could reach out and touch each other and it was fine. But they never figured each other out. And uh, I was just like, well, shit, that's not going to end well. But I didn't know that we were going to get anything else. Season two came out of the deep blue yonder, like it came out of exactly nowhere. Nobody was expecting it. So when it comes out, I was like, all right, let's see what these two have been up to. So we delve in, get the landscape, and you slowly realize that nothing has changed. They've been together for three years and nothing has changed. One of the things that I really liked about season two, it's in the first episode when Kioi takes Hira to the party. We've seen Kioi be jealous before. That was a big portion of season one. We've seen Kioi be jealous when Hira gets the attention of others, especially because he's oblivious to the fact that other people think he's kind of cute and are paying attention to him and like want his attention. So he takes here out, he like dresses him up, and he takes him to this party. And of course, because Hira is the only person who doesn't realize that Hira is an attractive man, he's wandering around this party feeling like a loser. Meanwhile, everybody else is like, who's that? <laughs> Men, women, everybody. Kiyoi is just kind of like, well, I just came here to show off my man. But Hira can't even understand that. So when some girl tries to hit on him, and I mean quite aggressively for the Japanese, there is a lot of touching happening.
1: You get the Yaoi frame with her. She's on the left. She's the semi trying to make Hira an uke. And then when Kiyoi shows up and puts himself on the right side of the screen, it screws with her perception from the Yaoi framework because she's a semi trying to pursue an uke, but then by Kioi putting himself in the uke position and telling her basically to piss off, it messes with her because now she's a semi hitting on a semi, and that's not what semis want. Thank you for
0: explaining this to me. So now I'm going to look out for this stuff. Hira and Kioi are both pretty fucked up people. They are. <laughs> it is amazing that they managed to. Be not even unfucked. It's pretty hard for them to get unfucked. And they didn't get unfucked when they got together. They just paused the fuckery long enough to see each other clearly for like a hot minute. And they've been coasting on that hot minute of clarity for three years. So when something changes, Because that's where we are in the narrative at this point. They've been coasting along because nothing's changed. But now they're coming to the end of university. A lot of things are about to change for them. Of course, that throws up all this new shit. Their dynamic that they've been coasting on, it's not going to work anymore. It's already starting to come apart. Something is going to have to give. That's where we are in the story. Like Things are starting to free. Kiyoi sees it happening, I think. I think Hira is kind of oblivious. I think Kiyoi sees it happening. And he he tries to hang on. But the ways in which he tries to hang on are just strange. Because he's Kiyoi. And he's trying to read Hira. And he never quite could read Hira. So he's reading him wrong. And essentially, by the time they get to episode 3, he's hurting his own feelings if I'm going to be real about it, because he can't read Hira. So when Hira's cousin comes to visit, remember, nobody in Hira's family knows that Kiyo is essentially living in their house. So there's this moment of panic. And then, because Kiyo is a pretty famous actor at this point, so his cousin recognizes Kioi. Hira is kind of talking about how he and Kiyo are friends and why Kiyo is staying with him and all of that, and he says that they're friends, but then his cousin is like, you seem more like a fan, and he doesn't like either of those things. You can see in his face that both of those ideas make him a little uncomfortable. Hira, that is. After his cousin leaves, he's talking to Kiyo and he's like, well, how did you leave it? And Hira's like, oh, I told her that we're friends. And then he says, and I didn't like that. And Kiyoi perks up because he thinks, okay, maybe Hiro is finally going to admit that we're boyfriends. They've been together for three years, but Hira does not consider Kiyoi to be his boyfriend because he thinks that Kioi is so far above him that they could never be equal enough for him to actually be in a relationship. So Kioi considers Hira his boyfriend, but Hira doesn't consider Kiyoi his boyfriend. And they've never actually talked about it. It's just so messed up. So Kioi's ears are perked up now because he's like, oh, maybe Hira's finally gonna admit that he likes me (laughs) and that we're boyfriends. And instead, Hira goes in the complete opposite direction of you don't need to worry about this. You're never gonna basically tells Kioi he's never going to be part of his family because he as far as he's concerned, Kyo is so far above him that that would be an insult.
1: Kiyoi does not take this well.
0: Kiyoi freaks out. He's been avoiding the fact that Hira does not consider him his boyfriend. Like, he's, he's noted it. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting for like Hira to just tell me you love me already. And here is Hira telling him, basically, I'm never going to love you. Because that's what it feels like to Kiyoi. And Hira's like, well, I'm not good enough to love you. You see kyo crumple because he just realizes that he's been in love by himself. He is in unrequited love
1: with Hiro. So following up on that confrontation, how do you feel about the next episode when they have to come back from that?
0: I was surprised at how it went, honestly, because I thought that the graph was going to continue going down and that was where we're going to enter the movie. But instead they have Kiyoi come back. So Kiyoi goes away, he composes himself, and then he realizes that he has to do something to shake Hira out of this thing. And this is something that goes back to stuff that happened earlier in the season as well, when Koyama makes him realize that he actually has to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, he can't just sit around and be admired. If he loves Hira... He has to actually show that he loves Hira. So Hira does all the cooking for them. And uh, there's a sequence early in the season where Koyama basically tells Kiyoi Look, you can't just make Hira cook for you all the time. It's exhausting. What are you doing? You say you love him. Koyama loves Hira. And Koyama accepts that Hira does not love him. But if he's giving Hira up, it's gotta be to somebody who's gonna take care of him. He doesn't see Kioi taking care of Hira. So he inserts himself. Fine, you're with Hira. But you gotta take care of him.
1: Oh I will take him from you.
0: And you see Kioi get shook by that. Almost like, oh wow, yeah, he no, he's right. I love him. I gotta take care of him somehow.
1: It's again it's the like, misunderstanding, hey. like Kioi thinks is doing this as his love language but that's not exactly what's going on because here is twisted one of the struggles i had when we were getting ready for this episode is you like to focus us to talk about like one scene that really stood out for you this is really hard for me with this show it's a couple like in the first episode it's the scene outside the coffee shop that's oh. such a good one they go shopping kiyoi wants to do something nice for hira hira keeps getting in the way Because he just won't, like, he only do the nice thing for him because he keeps throwing his own money in front of them. And then they get to that coffee shop, which is the the greatest coffee shop of all time. Their (laughs) orders were rung up before they were even given to them. And they were walking the coffees out as they were being given. That is the most incredible coffee shop. We get to the sequence where they're using the bridge. But, like, there's a whole thing with the height dynamic. Whenever... Kiyoi wants to be emotionally honest with Hira, positions himself lower than him, but he's always battling against Hira, who does not like being higher than Kiyoi at all. Even when they wake up in the morning, like he rolls off the bed to lower himself relative to Kiyoi. It's the sequence in the party where Kiyoi is trying to enjoy everybody looking at Hira, but then he gets jealous, like, wait a minute, I can't let these people look. At The other sequence that I think really stands out for me with this show, and it's like my crack pick for this show, it is in, I believe it's episode four, where Hero finally meets that photographer who gives him the job and who also wants to mentor him. He read that boy to pieces, read him for filth, read him for blood. Dragged him
0: by his eyelashes behind a truck and then pulled him back together and said, Okay, so when are you come into work?
1: <laughs> Nini and I are black, y'all. We are part of the African diaspora. And we never see bitches get red in these shows. Never. Yeah. I'm sorry, y'all. Like, I want things to be a little messy. I want somebody to get red to pieces. I want people to be a little bit ugly to each other. Some of these people need to have their shit dragged out. Like, we do all this crying and stuff. We got people with bats around trying to beat the shit out of each other in Taibio. When is somebody going to get red like this again? In terms of things that are super significant in this, Kiyoi pushing Hira is important. But we talk about this a lot, that External relationships to your romance are critical to your ability to be in a healthy romance with someone. And I'm so glad that Hira has a mentor who's going to be quite frank with him about how he needs to step himself up. Koyama is trying, but he can't overpower Hira.
0: Koyama can't do it because he's in love with Hira and he doesn't want to hurt his feelings.
1: Exactly. That's and so, why the
0: photographer guy can do it because he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> exactly.
1: But yeah, so the top scene is obviously the scene from episode three. There's so much to love in the show. Like, I really love the scene with Koyama, like, checking Hira. I love the scene with Anna in episode four. Kiyoi comes out to her and she takes it completely in stride, and shares that she's also in a secret romance. It feels like, for once, Kiyoi has someone to respect and admire. I'm really excited about Tsukishikari Eternal because I don't know where they want to go next, but there are some new relationships that have been introduced to this that have me really excited for what might happen next.
0: I'm really, really, really invested in the friendship between Kiyoi and Anna because Kiyoi is, in his own ways, just as damaged as Hiro. And Kiyoi doesn't have an outlet in the way that Hiro does. Hira has friends, friends who care about him. Hira has people. Kioi doesn't have anybody except Hira. And so watching him like reach out to Anna and her reciprocating that and them becoming friends, I think was very important. I am looking forward to seeing how that impacts how Kioi interacts with Hira going forward and whether he comes out of himself anymore. People talk all the time about Hiro, but Kioi, my baby boy, he is so damaged. Who else would spend three years in a relationship with somebody who wouldn't even say, hey, I like you? Who else would do that? Who would do that? As much as Kioi's there and they've been together and they have this relationship, for lack of a better word, Kiyoi doesn't. Think that Hira loves him, and he's correct.
1: He but that's simple, but really. that's the thing. Like he thinks Hira loves him. He just thinks that Hira is struggling with expressing the thing. This has come up quite a bit in Japanese queer cinema for me. This whole thing about the stoic Japanese man's inability to say these things, which is why like they didn't read wrong for me at all. With waiting for this to be said. Because that comes up a lot, even in just Japanese romance period, about not saying the thing. And like the confession being this big deal. Like men are only allowed to express these kind of emotions once, so make it count. So that felt very appropriately Japanese for me.
0: I just want them to figure it out. (laughs) For all that they suck as a couple... And let's be honest, they suck as a couple. They fit
1: each other though, weirdly they enough. They
0: fit each other perfectly. So I just kind of want them to like figure it out so that they stop sucking as a couple.
1: So while we're talking about Anna and the fact that this story is not over, let's talk about Anna's fan and how Hira is going to have to kill him. And it's a kushikari in the
0: <laughs> My hopes for the movie. Kioi has so much to unpack that he has not unpacked and he's been allowed to not unpack because Hira has a lot to unpack too, and it's much more obvious than Kioi's stuff. But I see Kioi. Kioi, I see you. <laughs> you need you need help.
1: So we're going back and forth here about mm-hmm. how both of these characters have still a whole lot more to get done. I see in the notes that you hadn't made your choice before we got. Who's your MVP actor?
0: I could not decide. They're both so good. I can't pick. That's why I didn't have anybody. I did pick a character, though, but I couldn't pick an actor.
1: I'm giving it to Yagi this time. Hagiwara Riku is more experienced than Yagi Yusei. Yagi talks about how good Hagiwara is and how he doesn't think he would be as good as he is if he didn't have Hagiwara's experience and ability to communicate with him as another actor. I think in the first season, I would have given it to Hagiwara because it's very difficult to make a character like Hira compelling and make the audience root for them because that character can be read as really creepy. I feel Yagi maturing in real time. I think Yagi is the MVP for season two for me because a lot of the season rides on... Kioi's face
0: and he uses his eyes
1: and his body language like even when he's just sitting the fact that he tends to wear hero's clothes at home and he looks so comfortable all the time when he's in Hira's house and that's such a distinction from the first season we only ever see Kiyoi in public where he's putting on a face for people he just turns into a blob as soon as he comes through the door. And is so comfortable around Hira. It is so refreshing to watch, having watched him in the first season. It's really impressive to see how Yagi made Hioi different from the first season. As opposed to where Hagiwara has to play out the fact that Hira hasn't really grown. Hiyo has grown in some other ways. And I think Yagi plays that really well. Considering the second season had to focus on what Kiyoi was going through. Yagi steps up, and I feel like I want to acknowledge that he was given a lot of complex material to convey, and I am never doubting what he's trying to do. And I understand everything that's happening the whole time.
0: My MVP character is Koyama. When Koyama has that conversation with Kiyoi, when he steps in, to me, the whole season turns on that moment when he realizes that he needs to step up i mean he can be a pillow princess in bed but he can't be a pillow princess in the relationship
1: some of the more kinky types are like if they'd have had the language of kink these characters would not be having these problems and they might not be wrong about that but they don't have that and they didn't stumble into the community for that and so watching them sort this out themselves is kind of interesting for me at least as a viewer
0: I have to concur. I am also not a gangster. I have seen the discourse and the dialogue. And I understand the argument that if they had the language, it probably wouldn't be so hard for them. But you got to remember, these are two kids who got together when they were 18. They had not had any relationships prior. And... They're coming from a culture that sort of seesaws back and forth between being incredibly open and incredibly closed in a lot of ways. I feel like it is real that they're doing the best they can without understanding what's happening and failing because the best they can in a situation like this is simply not good enough. And I like that. I like that it's messy. I like that it is not clean and neat and correct. I enjoy the fact that it's messy and it's wrong and maybe they'll get to the right place through a bunch of trial and error and figuring things out. I feel like that's how it works for a lot of people. Some people are lucky enough to have it clarified for them early enough that it makes things smooth for them. I'm very happy for them, but I feel like they are not the majority of people, and I feel like the mess is important to see as
1: well. So that's what we have to say on It's a too. We adored it. We had a great time with this four episodes, and hopefully... We get the movie this year in the West, hopefully. Please.
0: Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm going to cross my fingers in pre.
1: Let's do some closing thoughts on sequels. We've talked about Two kitty Two Pies, Kashidkari 2, and Between Us. How, at this point, are you feeling about sequels when it comes to romance and particularly BL?
0: Like everything else, it depends. If at the end of something, I feel like something is left undone or unfinished, then I'm more open to the idea of a sequel. And I think it works well when you do a sequel, when there's story left to tell. I feel like if something was closed enough, Like, I feel like Cutie Pie said everything that it wanted to so that the sequel wasn't essential. And because it wasn't essential, it kind of meandered because it didn't really have anything to say. Between Us fell in sort of a liminal space where the story was wrapped up, but it's trying to give us a story from a different angle. And I think in this instance, that didn't work. That's not to say that it can't work, but in this instance, it absolutely didn't work. And it was because... By bringing the story that was happening in the background into the foreground, I feel they felt like they had to create story when they could have just given us a nice four to six episodes and wrapped it up in that. They, for whatever reason, felt like we needed the full thing and to fill it out, they had to add a bunch of stuff that nobody asked for and the vast majority of people did not want It always depends. It always, always depends. But for me, it really comes down to whether I feel that the original story left anything undone. And I feel like Utsukushikari did, which is why the sequel were gangbusters. How do you feel about them? How do you feel about sequels?
1: I feel so optimistic about sequels right now. I am absolutely energized to my core about sequels right now. This whole discussion is exactly why we need more sequels every single one of these shows is so vital and important to the conversation about romance itself so many of these stories are just about boys sniffing after each other and running around in the schoolyard and poorly talking to each other and then somehow they kissed once and that fixes it but If we really want to focus on the lived experience of queer people choosing each other and that being a meaningful thing, life does not end at the first kiss. We have to contend with what queer people choosing each other and making that choice every day to keep choosing each other means. Like, There's a huge space between college kids and students deciding they want to have boyfriends. And grown men with responsibilities to each other and their community to carry. We have to think about what does being together mean for these characters? They liked each other so much they wanted to be together. Why? What happens now? And that is something I'm so amped about.
0: (laughs) you sound incredibly incredibly amped like you've been drinking sparks kind of amped I love it I have
1: <laughs> drank almost all of the wine
0: <laughs> oh I am one and a half beers down the <laughs> alright so that's gonna wrap us up on season two electric boogaloo we out say bye to the people then